He is our care pastor, social pastor, Pastor Roger. Give him a hand, please. Here we go. Here we go. Give God a hand. Hallelujah. All right. Uh, How many are glad we didn't have the same weather this morning as last Sunday? Amen? Amen. I mean, I I left Auburn thinking I might make it here. And I drove through the worst whiteout. I'm 71 years old and lived in New York most of those years. And I lived in Fulton as a young man. And I drove through the worst whiteout I ever drove through in my life last Sunday. I don't know about you. And, and you know what? The one thing I can say is I wasn't afraid. I wasn't sure at times <laughs> that I was even on the road. But I wasn't afraid because I knew that God was with me. Amen. And my dear sister, uh, <laughs> Vicky, I know it. I, Vicky came up to me and met me in the foyer, and she said, Pastor Roger, was it as bad for you as it was for me? She came from the south end of Skinny Atlas Lake. And I said, yes, dear sister, it was. And she said, well, I don't use this phrase very often, but it was white knuckle all the way. <laughs> I had permission from her to say that. (laughs) But isn't it interesting that God had Pastor Jim speak on fear? (laughs) Yeah. Well, this morning, we're going to continue our series that uh, the pastor has so wonderfully introduced us to, this going in. And that's a term that has become very popular today to mean giving it your all, going in with every ability that you have and performing in an outstanding way to bring victory or to bring an overcoming experience in life. And we just want to realize that what he said last week was so important. Probably one of the main emotions that keeps us from going in with God is fear, uncertainty and fear. And how he taught us that it's one of the most often used phrases in scripture when people approach God is fear not. Fear not. And in 2 Timothy 1.7, he concluded with God promises that he does not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and of self-discipline or self-control. God wants us to be victorious over fear. Amen? I hope you've been experiencing that in your life. Well, this morning... We're going to go back to that very same key passage that we began with last week, which was in Numbers 13, where the people of Israel are coming up to the edge of the promised land. Now, before I even begin to talk about this, I want want us to consider for a moment who these people should have seen themselves as. God had rehearsed for them over the years through their patriarchs that they were a chosen people from the time of Abraham. He said to Abraham, I'm going to give you this promised land, this land of Canaan, but not now. For one, I don't think Abraham and Sarah and and their servants could have filled that land, do you? It wasn't time, and they couldn't have done it. So how would they own it and possess it for God? But then after Abraham came Isaac, and Isaac got the same promise. Then came Jacob. And he got the same promise, and he became, by name, Israel. And God took him and his people, and he planted them in Egypt, just like he had promised Abraham he was going to do. He said they'd be there about 400 years. And so what God did is he put them under the most powerful 
uh, army and, and people on the earth with the most plenteous food, and he planted them there and helped them grow to become a nation big enough to take possession of the promised land. And he used an uh, oppressive, uh, ungodly control or ruler over their lives to cause them to want to cry out to God for deliverance from that. Amen? That was Pharaoh. The first Pharaoh was good to them because of Joseph, and then this Pharaoh, he made them slaves, beat them, used them, and then started throwing their male children into the Nile River for the crocodiles, one of the gods of Egypt, because he did not want them to have power enough to oppose him. Now, if we if we just allow ourselves to think spiritually for a moment, is that a picture of Satan on the earth? Doesn't he want to have rule over all the people that he possibly can and keep them in submission to him, make them his slaves? Does he not want them to know? He Doesn't he want them not to know the power that they might have to overcome him and overthrow him and take rule away from him? Hello? Does that sound anything like the Christian life? Does that sound anything like your experience on the earth as one of God's created beings here today? Or in other words, the purposes and the plan of God haven't changed from before the foundation of the world. And he gives us pictures in the Old Testament. Not only does he give us the story of how he brought about the nation of Israel and how he was going to bring his son, the Redeemer, through that nation for us, but it's also a picture of us and how we live and what our opposition is as we live this life on the earth. So if we look at the Numbers uh, passage here, we find that it says that as God had delivered the people to the edge of the promised land, he told Moses, I want you to send some spies out to go into the land and see what it's like. I want you to get a picture of this land so you'll know how I'm going to deliver it. This is what I, he didn't say this, but I believe this is what he was thinking. I, I want you to go in there and see what's there. I want you to see that it's just what I promised it would be, a land flowing with milk and honey. And you'll see the kind of opposition that I'm going to deliver into your hands and give you this land because of my power and my presence with you as you go in. Amen? Is, wouldn't you think that's what God was, was telling these spies to do? To go in and see how marvelous a job this is going to be, or, or a marvelous experience this is going to be as you go into this land, preceded with God's power and with the holy angel that I'm going to send in with you, and I'm going to deliver these giants, I'm going to deliver these cities, I'm going to deliver this whole land to you by my presence and my power with you. That's what God was thinking. So Moses gives the direction to the, to the people, 12, one from every tribe, 12 men. They go in, and as we learned last week, they come back out. And two of them say, hey, piece of cake, man. We can take this land. God's with us. It's everything he promised. He's still with us, and we can go in and do it. And then there were 10 who looked more at themselves in their earthly circumstances than they did at the promises person and presence of God with them and refused to go in. They were more concerned about their earthly existence than they were about their he the heavenly presence in their life. Amen? Amen? Now, this couldn't be anything like any Christians here. That your earthly opposition and circumstances and even the enemy that's still in the land might cause you to doubt the person of God 
the presence of God, the promises of God, and the power of God in your life and keep you from going in with God. Do you see how the Old Testament was given to us to teach us? To show us how we can enter into all that God has made available to us in Christ Jesus as his created ones, his chosen ones. All right, so I want to remind you just for a moment of what these people had as a testimony in their life. These are the people who were alive in Egypt when Moses was sent there by God to deliver them, right? You with me? I want to make sure you're all with me here. Yes? Okay. And when God came in, he said he was going to perform, he told Moses, I'm going to perform miracles through you so that Pharaoh will, and you're to confront Pharaoh and tell him, I want my people to be released to go and worship me on the mountain that he has called us to. All the people with all their possessions are to go, and Pharaoh will, will refuse to let you go. But I will show him my hand, and by my power, I will make him aware that I am the true God. He is not. Did you know that the people worship Pharaoh as God? And he called himself the God of Egypt. But they had other gods too. And everything that God did to humble Pharaoh and the people, he did to humiliate one of the Egyptian gods. The Nile River. The flies. They actually worship flies, by the way. All of the things that God did, he did to humble Pharaoh and show him that he was not really God and his gods were not powerful, but he, that God was the true God. Amen? With that? So then he gets right down to the end, and Pharaoh, of course, as you remember, he hardened his heart every time against God, and he said, no, no, I'm going to be God. I will not give up my throne. I am God here. Then he came down to the very last thing that God told him he was going to do. And he told the people of Israel that he was going to send the death angel through the the, uh, land of Egypt. And the only way that they would survive is if they took a lamb, one per family or household or however many it was necessary to eat the whole lamb. And they were to sacrifice it before God, take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and over the door, which actually, if you think about it, is the symbol of a cross. And Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, according to Paul in Corinthians, and by, given by the Holy Spirit, these words. And so, this is how they were going to be protected from death, physical death. As if they obeyed God, trusted God, and did what he told them to do, right? And they offered the right sacrifice, or they came by the right sacrifice into the condition they were, which is protected by God. And as you know, God swept through Egypt, killed all the firstborn animals, people, all in one evening. And Pharaoh was so uh, upset and, and overcome with it, he told Israel, get out, go. And it says they even plundered the Egyptian people, that the Egyptians gave them gold and silver and great treasure as they left. And God said there wasn't one sick person among them as they left. Amen? Now, do you think God's able to take care of you? If he could do that for over a million, some people think two to three million people, do you think he could do that for you? Do you think he's the same God today that he was then? 
In fact, don't we have the opportunity to know more about God and to know him more personally than these people ever did? Amen? Yes or no? Amen. All right. (laughs) Praise God. All right. Now, you'd think that was, wow, that was amazing. But you know what? He then took them through a trip from there to this promised land. And on the way, he showed them that he would provide them with water, food, heavenly food, manna from heaven every day. And it says, by the way, the manna did not end even up until the time that they came up to the promised land. So the morning before the spies went in, what did they have for breakfast? Manna. And yet, they lost perspective. You see, we can be born again. We can have had the experience of our sins forgiven and the love of God come into our lives, at least at the moment of, trans, of being saved, and then even have his word, and, and occasionally, I hope very occasionally, interact with God personally as he speaks to you and, and change, helps to form your life according to his purpose through his word, and yet come to a circumstance in our life where all of a sudden all that means almost nothing and we're overcome by the circumstance that we're facing. Is that possible? How many had it this last week? And what is it that's going to change that experience in our life into what God created us to have and know and be as his children who have been bought again, born again rather, and bought from, from the kingdom of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of his dear son? I mean, I can tell you all these promises and all these things that God has accomplished for you in Christ until I have no breath left to speak. But if you haven't experienced it inside of you to the degree that God wants you to, guess what? You're going to hold back and you're not going to go in. And you're going to wonder every day, is God going to do what he promised today? And if the circumstance is overcoming enough, you may actually be overcome and not see victory through it and not see God's glory manifested through your life. So I want to, I want to tell us, or, yeah, I want to challenge you this morning to consider this. What you truly know regarding your relationship with God and his person, his presence, his purpose, and his power in your life will determine how you live. What you know about his person, his presence, his power, and his purpose for your life will determine how you live. You can know about it, and it may influence you to some degree, but it's how well you know God that will determine how you live. Amen? So let's consider that this morning. Let's take a look at some of the things that God wants us to understand about his person, his purpose for us, his power in us, and his presence with us. We'd have to look, first of all, at Numbers 23.19. And I've asked that to be displayed for you. Those of you who want to look it up, I'll give you time to go there. I, I chose to go to the Old Testament for this one because... 
I mean, we have it in the New Testament where James says, every good and perfect gift is from God and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning, no darkness. He is only light. And First John writes, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, right, we have fellowship with God. In other words, God can't sin. Everything Job faced, he answered with this, I trust God. I trust God's character. I trust God's person. And it doesn't matter what's happened in your life. If Satan has, has his way, there's something come in there that caused you to have an offense between you and God, something where you don't trust God's person. That's his desire. That's his purpose for your life. It's not God's purpose for your life, but it's the enemy's. And here in Numbers 23, we find that the enemy of the Israelites was trying to get Balaam to curse God, or God's people. If you remember that, or anybody who's familiar with the Old Testament will know what I'm talking about. And in this passage, we find that God says from his mouth these words. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should repent. Or change his mind? Does God speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I'm telling you this morning, brothers and sisters, God fulfills his promises. He's a good God. He can't sin. He never has sinned. He never will sin. He's not about to start with you. Amen? So anytime that Satan has tried to convince you that God has done you wrong... You can tell him to take a hike because your God will never do you wrong. And yesterday I had the privilege to be at the memorial service for Lee Van Bowden. <laughs> the same week, a man 92 went to be with the Lord as a man 46. One twice the age of the other. The man at 92 said, God, please take me. He testified that to friends. It's time. I want to go be with you. My earthly life is not what I want. I want you. The 46-year-old man said, God, if there's more for me to do, keep me here. Heal me. God took them both. I don't know why he took Lee Van Bowden, but I know He did it for a good reason. Amen? His wife testified yesterday. She said, I teach my children uh, by homeschool. And one of the difficult subjects for us sometimes is math. And sometimes we get a, a problem in math, and the answer is there in the book. And I understand that there's an equation, and I understand there's an answer, but I don't know how the equation ends up being the answer. But I know the answer is right. Hello? Do you hear what the wife of this man is saying? I don't always understand how the answer came, but I always know it's right. You need to have that kind of relationship with your God. You need to to be able to trust him with your whole life, every breath that you have on this earth, because his answer for you will always be right. Amen? You can have faith in it. His purpose for us, 
First Peter 1, 18 to 20. Some of you are here for the Good Friday service. And that, on that evening, I said, you know, the first sin happened in heaven, and if you were here for one of my other sermons and heard that, well, hear it again. The f- first sin happened in heaven. It was when Satan sinned against God. He profaned what was holy. Do you know what God has done for us? He has made holy what was profaned. <laughs> Is that amazing? This scripture says that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And he was slain before the foundation of the world that you and I might be redeemed. You see, when sin happened in heaven, God is just. He had to pour his wrath out completely, totally on sin as as he judged it. But God is also mercy, grace, and love. Amen? Amen? forgiveness. And so at the very moment that he was pouring out his wrath on sin, he had to be able to express his mercy, grace, and love, and be the redeemer of mankind. Welcome to the cross of Calvary. He poured his wrath out on his son so that we could receive forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and a righteousness that is from God. Amen? You see, your God has a purpose for your life, and that purpose was established before the foundation of the world. You matter to God. How you live matters to God. Whether God's glorified through your life is determined by whether you trust him or not. Romans 12, 2 says, worship is offering your whole being to God for his purpose and allowing yourself to be transformed into his likeness so that he gets all the glory as the Holy Spirit ministers to you, in you, and through you. Amen? All right, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We see this same truth. And, And if you're not careful when you read this passage in the New Testament, You could actually read it as predestination rather than redemption through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 10. It begins actually in 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms in Christ For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Do you see that? If Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, guess what? You can't be anything in God, chosen by God, unless you're chosen through him who who is the Redeemer of the world and was already predestined to go to the cross of Calvary for you and for me. This isn't predestination. This is come to God through Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. And if you've come, that's the only way you're there. Amen? So, he he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Jesus Christ. So the question we have to ask ourselves every day, do I understand the reason why I exist? Do I really exist for me and all that I can get to please me in this earthly life suit? Or do I exist for him and that I can find my joy and fulfillment in being filled with the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ and doing the works of God that bring him glory while I'm here on the earth and seeing sin and Satan overcome and defeated because I'm awake and I'm alive in Jesus. Amen? I mean, the devil should be saying this every time you wake up. Uh Uh-oh. They're awake. Right? Not you waking up saying, "Uh uh-oh, what am I going to do today? All right, so first of all, we need to know his person. Secondly, we have to own his purpose for our existence. You remember what Jesus said about your body? What is it? It's the temple of what? It's the place where God wants to have his personal dwelling presence. And he wants you to experience that with all the emotion that you have as well as your spirit and your mind. Because he said, I want to sanctify you spirit, soul, and body. I want you to experience me in every dimension of your being to the fullest extent that is possible for you. And if you haven't experienced that yet, as one of my beloved brothers says, there is more for you. And God is not up in heaven withholding it, saying, I'd like to give it to you, but this is a nice game I like to play. I'll just withhold it from you for a while. He's saying, draw near to me. What? And I will draw near to me. Ask, and you shall be given. Seek, and you shall knock, and it shall be. Are you seeking? Are you asking? Are you knocking? If you're dependent on God for these things, you will be. And he wants you to live in dependence upon him. Amen? That's what victory is. It's dependence on God. You see, these people that were supposed to go in and take the promised land would not depend on God. They could only see themselves as the ones who would have to do this. And it kept them from entering in. Kept them from going in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What an awesome God we have, that he's revealed to us these things. They didn't see it like we can. They didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do. They didn't have the whole word of God as he's delivered it up to now to us. Amen? He said he's not going to give us more until he comes back or until we see him face to face, but he's certainly given us enough. Hallelujah. So then we have his presence with us, Ephesians chapter 3.
Aren't you glad it's all in one book here? One short letter? <laughs> Everything you need to walk in his person, his presence, his power, and his grace. Hallelujah. Paul says that, uh, you know, I, I have experienced the love of God right here. Jesus dwells here. I don't just have faith in the fact that I, I've been saved. Jesus dwells here. And he said, and, and for you to have the life that God wants you to have, I'm going to get on my knees before him and pray for you to have the very same experience. But you're not going to be able to earn it. You're only going to be able to receive it through the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. And it will take the power of God for you to experience it. Look with me here. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to begin at verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, that is God, may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Notice that word is dwell. It's not a one-time experience. It's not a momentary experience. It's an abiding presence. It's Christ in me. Or as he wrote in Galatians, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what? I want to experience this every day. Amen? And if I'm facing something or there's a circumstance in my life where I don't feel like I'm experiencing it, I want to get down on my knees and say, Holy Spirit, I don't want to lose your presence. I don't want to lose the presence of Jesus. I don't want to lose the presence of my Holy Father. I don't want to walk in anything but the love that you have for me. And I don't want to express anything but the love that I have for you and for those you've called me to minister to. You know, Joyce and I have been married 46 years, and she doesn't know I'm going to say this this morning, but I'll say it. I've had a struggle to have my pride die. Of all the people on the earth, she probably can confront my, my need to die more than anyone. <laughs> Do you understand? The people who you should love the most and you think should love you the most can touch the heart quicker than anyone else on the planet. And you know, in our homes, sometimes we treat one another with less respect than we treat total strangers or people in our workplace. What I'm trying to say is the problem isn't Joyce. The problem is me. I need to be unoffendable to be like Jesus. So every day I get up and say, I'm going to do it today. (laughs) Amen? And some days I do well, and some days, guess what? I get confronted with the fact that I don't want to be offended, and I don't want to be told what to do, and I, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
I, I, I. Didn't they sing a song like that in Mexico? I, 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 uh. Okay. Okay. Salito Lindo, right? So. I pray that out of his glorious riches he would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Did you think it would take power for you to know the love of Christ or just an emotional? God says it takes Holy Spirit power. Holy Spirit presence. Because it's the Spirit who puts to death the deeds of the flesh, not you. That's Romans chapter 8. I want to have power together with all saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge, or in other words, it goes past knowing to experience. It's having your heart so full of the love of God, you think you're going to burst. It's the reality of his presence in you. Amen? And what can overcome that? that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know what? I'm not that full yet. There's more. And I want more. Now to him who's able to do unmeasurably more than all we might ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You see... More than you can imagine, he's willing to do for you to know how much he loves you and how much he wants that love to dwell in your hearts. Amen? His powerful promise of eternal life with him. Romans 8, 37 following. It's that famous passage. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. <laughs> you see, the apostles walked with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They had the filling of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the book of Acts. But it wasn't until they were beaten and threatened with death for speaking in the name of Jesus that they really began to understand how the kingdom ministry was to be done and what God had done for them to be able to participate in it. You find it in Acts chapter 4, and I didn't put the scripture up here, but it says, after they were beaten and suffered for the name of Jesus, they went back to the brothers, and they stood before God, and they said, O despotes, or O sovereign Lord, we now understand it wasn't the Romans, and it wasn't the Jews who put Jesus on the cross. It was you. You hear the difference? 
Jesus went to the cross willingly, and they finally understood. So then they said, now, Lord, give us boldness as you move your hands to do signs and wonders in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ. You see, folks, God's not expecting you to go out there and do signs and wonders for him. He's wanting you to go out there so he can do signs and wonders through you. Amen? Come on, don't be afraid. Why should we be afraid? Why should we fail to go in and possess all that God has for us and accomplish his purpose on the earth for us and for our existence? Are you with me? Do you see what God is calling us to here? He's saying, go in, give me your all. Just give me you. Give me your life. Don't worry about life or death. The reason I don't want you to worry about life or death, and that's what these apostles that actually come to, is this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or in other words, I have eternal security. And for too long the church has has been preaching eternal security is this, get saved and then hold on till the rapture. Live a clean life and hold on. But it hasn't been teaching you have authority in Jesus' name to go out and take the kingdom and bring the kingdom presence and the reality of God everywhere you go. Amen? His power is for us, folks. Ephesians, again. Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That starts at verse 15. But what is going to be showing up here is about the power. I have not stopped giving our Lord, our th- giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Have you ever asked for this, a spirit of wisdom and revelation from God? Brothers and sisters, if Paul was willing to ask for you, you should be willing to ask for yourself. Amen? You mean there's more than than just saying the Holy Spirit? Yes, God has much more for us in the Spirit than we ever would think or imagine. Amen? I I read in Revelation about seven spirits before the throne of God. I can't imagine any one of them being an evil spirit. Can you? They must be good spirits. And it says he sends them out on the earth. I want everything that God has for me. I don't know. How about you? Amen? I mean, do you want every spiritual experience that God has for you? Then let's be a people who go after God, who go in, who want to live a life dependent not only on his person, his presence, his purpose, but also his power. And it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know him better. Man, if that'll make me know God better, I want it. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. I'm sorry, I have confidence in you. <laughs> I have confidence that you don't want to just get to the end of your earthly life and say, well, you know, I had a good time. 
God provided me enough money so I did the things I wanted to do for me and not be able to come to his presence and have him say, well done, good and faithful. You did what I created you to do. You, get, you did what I empowered you to do. You did what I redeemed you to do. You did, you did it with me. You did it in my power and my presence. Amen? So then it says, I pray uh, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the incomparable uh, great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength when he exert, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. You know what? That's better than just the promised land. <laughs> Amen? Amen? That goes far beyond just the promised land, folks. That's all authority. It's what Jesus told the disciples just before he went to heaven. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go, therefore. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. It's for us, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, having this presence, purpose, and power in God is not only so that we know him, but we have victory over those things that would cause us to see life as being about us instead of about our purpose with him. And it gives us the ability to have his love and grace and presence so that we can give it away. Freely you have received, what? Freely give. Let's be givers, amen, amen. of what we've received. Amen. And if you haven't received, then go for it. Go for it. How do you think God will respond if you come to him and say, I want what you want for me? Huh? Would you stand with me if you can? I'm not going to pray for you this morning. You're going to pray. <laughs> Let them know what you want. Are you tired of not knowing what you should know? Do you long to walk in his presence and strength? Let him know now. Father, we come to you and we ask you to forgive the selfishness that we tend to want to live with. How we focus on things that are on the earth rather than the things you want us to know and experience here on earth for your glory. 
And we want to believe every promise that you have given. But we want to do more than believe it. We want to experience it. So here we are. Take us. Take us to another level of life with you. Help us to see other people, not with our human eyes, but with the eyes of faith and the heart of Christ. Help us to care enough about your love for them that will give them a taste, an encounter with you. We ask that you do it because of your presence in us and your power through us. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we come, amen. There are those here at the front this morning. Maybe you need to do other business with God, but I know he wants you. Be blessed in Jesus' name.